0: If you have your worship folder, you can um, get it inside. Your worship folder is an outline that you can follow along with. It's a, it, here's why it's important. It helps you remember. The other reason is because um, there's a very good possibility that uh, one or more of you may need it later. Because I know I do. We're in a series, um, the last week of the series, last week of the year... We're talking about uh, let it let it go, letting stuff go. We talked about letting stuff go the first week. We talked about letting distractions go the second week, and then letting bitterness go, which is a huge issue for a lot of people. Last week um, for Christmas at Journey North, we talked about letting go of control. Um, I hope you made it. We had I I love our Christmas services, the candlelight part of it, and the music, and uh, it was just I I had a blast um, talking about letting go of control, like Mary. I don't, I, I'm sure you're aware of this. This is the last Sunday of the year. It's like, this is the 29th. When I put the date on something this morning, it's like, no way is it the 29th. 2019 is coming to a close. I still haven't written it correctly on my stuff, and it's already changed. But as it comes to a close, what most people do is they look back because you know new thing is coming you know i know that there's a lot of people your year was not what you hoped it would be and you are ready to leave 2019 and start all over 2020 you know i still think for new year's eve um, the when they you know they drop the ball and they, i still think they need to have the announcer for that night be barbara walters Hi, I'm Barbara Walters, and this is 2020. <laughs> it would just be good. Anyhow, I'm the only one who thinks that, evidently. Okay, um, we're going to look at this as we talk about letting go of your past. That's what we're going to talk about today. We hit this often because it's a big deal for all of us, but this is one of the, the, the things that um, I know many here struggle with, that I can struggle with at the time. I, I very seldom tell stories that aren't about me, that are about other people, but I'm going to tell about another person because I have permission to do this, okay? I ask ahead of time, got the correct story. Because something funny about it happened this week. Um, uh, my wife Julie, her younger brother Jim, the one who's the detective um, in Minneapolis, um, when they were little, they were young, they had, like, like many of us remember, the remote control on a TV was one of the kids, Because that, you know, change a channel, you know. So when there's no parents' home, somebody had to change a channel because there was no remote. You turned a dial. And so Julie was watching Jim, and um, they're watching TV. And so I don't know if the program was, like, over. She wanted to see what else was on. But she didn't ask Jim to go do it. She got up, and she went to the TV, and she's turning a channel. There's commercials on. She's turning a channel to see what else is on. Jim is sitting back there, and he says, get out of the way. And she says, I'm, I'm seeing what else is on. Get out of the way. She says, I'm checking the channels to see what else is on. Now, now in, our, in that family, Julie was always the calm one. She was always the rational one. She was always the one who you could always depend on her to make sure things happened and get things done and... and, and um, totally out of character. The third time Jim said, Get out of the way. She said, I'm seeing what's on. And she went, Boom, and backhanded him. <laughs> it surprised everybody, <laughs> even Julie. She's like, Did I just do that? And first words out of her mouth, Don't tell mom. You know, don't tell mom. Um, what's so funny is that was long before I was on the scene. I've heard that story 50 times. This past week, Jim, on our family text, Jim text, funny story, he said, um, just had, we just had a shooting where a brother shot another brother in the hand that was holding the remote because he wouldn't change the channel. And so Jim's like, ah, and and Julie texts back, it's a good thing I didn't have a gun back then. Here's what's funny about that to me. There's a whole bunch of things that are funny. But what's funny is, often, the past doesn't stay in the past, does it? It has a way of of creeping into the now, and, and sometimes it's not so funny. Sometimes we just wish the past would stay in the past. I don't know what the thing is in your past that that has been an issue for you that you wish would not continue to rear its head. Maybe maybe you struggle with anger and you've said some things to your kids that you wish you hadn't, knowing that once you say them, you can't take them back. They're out there. Maybe you've made some not so good financial decisions. And you know, at the time, it made sense. But you have regretted it every day since. You're still regretting it. Maybe, maybe it was uh, serious with a relationship and you betrayed your spouse, you know, and you just can't move forward because the past keeps coming up. Maybe maybe you went through um, a bad divorce, and you keep thinking now, it might have been a day, a week, a month, or 10 years ago, or 20 or 30 years ago, and what keeps coming up is, if only, if only I had done this. If only this had happened. And for you, maybe it's, maybe it's a, a sexual thing. Maybe there's stuff in your past. Maybe it's just this maddening cycle of, I'm not going to do this. Oh, I did it. Oh, I'm not going to do this. Oh, I did it. And you keep looking back and it keeps coming back up to you. Or maybe maybe it's not that you did something wrong. Maybe you poured yourself into your kids. Your kids were your life. You did everything for your kids. And they did not turn out like you prayed. It just didn't happen. And so now you're left to second guess. What could I have done better? What did I do wrong? And you keep looking back and the past keeps coming up. And maybe... Maybe it's that you've just realized you're coming to the end of the year and you're thinking back on the last year, maybe the the last decade, you realize we're going into a, a new decade here, 2020, and you realize, I don't measure up even to my own expectations. And you look at your life and you look at what's happening in your life and the question keeps coming to mind, is this it? Is this as good as it gets? See, the past, the past is kind of like a door. We have three doors up here today, so that's good because we're gonna, I, wanna, I want you to think of it like a door because at this time of year, you can walk through a door and if the door doesn't close all the way, you can have that bitter wind from winter come whipping through, hitting you in the back, blowing you, reminding you of what's out there and the same thing happens with our past. It's like the door got left open, and there's this horrible wind blowing in on us, reminding us of the past, reminding us of what we've done. When I think about characters in the Bible who, have, uh, who would have a good understanding about what that means and about the past, one of the first ones that comes to my mind is Peter. I associate with him on so many different levels. Let me just give you the setting before we jump into the, to the scripture we're going to look at. Um, the setting is in Luke 22, and Jesus has been um, betrayed. Uh, or he, He's talking to them about that he's going to be betrayed, and that's where Peter says, you know, I'm not going to betray you if everybody else falls away. I'm not going to. And they get into the garden. And Judas gives Jesus the famous kiss that betrays him. And Jesus is then led away. And Jesus is led away. And I don't know if you're aware of this, but you know, we know that Jesus went through this trial. He actually went through six trials. They were all illegal went through three um, religious trials, three civil trials. They're all illegal. He did that throughout the night. And here's the setting. They took him first to the high priest's house, to Caiaphas. And the way they had their houses in that day is they were built like with walls around like this. And the, and the rooms were on the walls and they all opened to a courtyard on the inside. So the people like Caiaphas, who was a high priest, who had a lot of money, big courtyard, big house. The trial took place at his house and they had this place where he could stand up there, and everybody in the courtyard could look up and see. There was one way to get in there, and you could look up and see, and it tells us that as they go in there, it's night, which, number one, it's illegal to do that, to have trial at night. They go in there, it's nighttime, and it's cold, and they want to see, they want to get warmed up, so some of the guards light fires. And so you have your guards come over here, and they light their fire, you know, we like sitting around a bonfire, that's a, that's a fun thing. How many of you like sitting around bonfires? There's something about it. You look. You look across the fire. You see the, the, the face, you know, in the fire. And, it, and the, you hear the crackling sound. And, and the light's good enough to see. So think of that in this setting. That you're in this big courtyard. And you have these fires going where wherever there's somebody there, you can see them around the fire. And then up here where they have the fire and the torches and everything where they're having a trial, everybody down here can see up there and see what they're doing. That's where they have Jesus. Peter comes in behind everybody else because he's already run. He does, he's scattered like everybody else, but he kind of wants to know what's happening and see what's happening, and, and he sneaks in, and he comes around, and it's cold, and so he's going to come up by the fire, and he's warming himself by the fire a little bit, and somebody says to him, um, hey, aren't, aren't you one of Jesus' followers? It's like, nope, nope, you know, I don't know what you're talking about. And it's so funny because Peter's like, just like hours before, has the sword, and he is not going to deny Jesus, you know, that, come on, I got my sword. He ends up denying Jesus because of a little servant girl who asks him, are you sure? I, yeah, I've seen you. I saw you with him. You're one of them. And he keeps denying it. What happens and it just, you can go read it later in Luke 22. or You'll, you'll see a little of it today. It's, it's a vivid, a very vivid setting that, that you picture yourself out there. You see he's standing on a fire. You see Jesus up there. And the third time now, they go, they, Peter, I, I, you're a, a Galilean. You're one of them. I remember seeing, and he says, man, I don't know what you're talking about for the third time. And immediately... It tells us, not up on the screen, but in verse 60, it says, while he was speaking, the rooster crowed. Because Jesus says, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. Then he said, oh, no way, that's not happening. And as soon as he said it the third time, the rooster crowed. We pick up the story in verse 61. At that moment... He denies him for the third time. The rooster crows. He's standing there by the fire. He he understands what's happening. And at that moment, in all of the commotion that's going on, the Lord, Jesus, who's standing up there, it said, turned and looked. Now, when it says that, it's not just casual, it turned and looked at you. The word means, it's emblipo. It means he stared, he looked with this locked-in gaze. In a, in the, the word means a, a sustained, concentrated way. So you get the picture. Jesus is up there. He can see him in the firelight. Jesus can see Peter. The moment that he denies him, Jesus turns and locks eyes with Peter. You can understand what's now going through Peter's heart as that happens. It says, suddenly the lord's words flashed through peter's mind before the rooster crows tomorrow morning you will deny me 3 times that you even know me and it says in verse 62 peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly the one who said he'd stand with him when all others didn't denies jesus 3 times you know aren't aren't you i am not I can see him doing that. He denies Jesus, then he deserts his calling, runs away. After everything Jesus did for him. You can imagine Peter going through the guilt and the shame, the, the, just, just the uselessness of it. Because he's hearing all of these things come rushing in at the same moment. And maybe you've been in the same boat. And you've heard these things, you felt the guilt, you felt the shame, you felt all this. Here's the thing you need to understand. All of those feelings he was having that caused him to go out and weep bitterly, Jesus is not the one who did that. Because your enemy says things to you about your past all the time. For instance, here's some of the things your enemy says about your past. You are unforgivable. He whispers that to you because he tells you, you've done way too much. You know, you're not forgivable. Or maybe you've not done enough and you're not forgivable. It tells us in Psalm, the, the writer of Psalm 38, it's not up on the screen, but he says, My guilt overwhelms me. It's a burden too heavy to bear. A- and at times we can feel that. It's too heavy to bear. I am unforgivable. We have that guilt. I shouldn't have done this. you know I should have done that. It can be a million different things. I knew I shouldn't have drunk and drive, and now I got a DUI, you know, and all this bad stuff happened, or I knew I shouldn't have worked too much. I worked so much, I wasn't there for my family, I wasn't there for my kids. It could be a million different things. But the enemy whispers to you, "Sorry, you're unforgivable." And we believe it. Your enemy also says about your past that you are unlovable because you feel the shame of what you've done. And there's probably people listening to this right now that you're thinking, yeah, I understand that whole shame thing. And in fact, if these people here with me right now found out about me, they would not love me. If they found out what a liar I am or what a cheat I am or how I'm just really kind of spiritually faking it or maybe I have all these spiritual doubts, it can be a million different things. But you're thinking, if they find out, they they won't love me. That's the enemy. The third thing uh, that the enemy can say about your past is, you are useless. That deals with, with our insecurity. Because maybe maybe things have happened and we've gotten that straightened out. We're where we need to be with God, but the enemy keeps telling us, yeah, you know it ain't going to happen. Um, you're not going to be where you need to be because this is going to happen again. And you're thinking, if this happens to me again, God could never use a person like me. You might be thinking, I, c- I could never be a part of a family like this. Because the enemy is whispering to you, you're unforgivable, you're unlovable, you're useless. But you see, here's the thing. If you can't let go of your past, you can't take hold of your future. You have to let go of your past to take hold of your future. Too many people are just living there in the past, listening to the lies of the enemy. When Jesus was crucified... He was killed, was buried. He rose again, but had not yet appeared enough to the disciples for them to really get it. In their mind, it's over. They placed all their hopes on him, followed him for three and a half years, and, and now he's gone, and they're, they're like criminals, and, and there is just no hope. And in John 21, you know what Peter says? I'm going fishing. That's actually a quote from the verse. It says, Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. This is it. I know fishing, he says. I was a professional fisherman. I'm, I'm done. I'm going fishing. But what happens is while they're fishing, they fish all night. They don't catch anything. But Jesus, I think this is a big thing. Jesus comes to them, it says, verse 4. The big thing about that is he didn't make Peter come to him. Peter had just made a huge mistake, denied Jesus three times, and he's feeling all this stuff about it. Jesus didn't wait for Peter to come to him. Jesus went to Peter, and you remember the story. They fished all night. They're getting ready to come in, and they see some guy on the shore. It's interesting because he's, he's by a campfire, which would probably bring some memories back for Peter. And he says, did you catch anything? No, I didn't catch anything. You know what? Um, If you throw your nets off the other side of the boat, you'll catch something. I think it's interesting. They don't know who it is yet. Just some guy from the shore in the campfire yelling at them. And what I I see them saying is, we know what we're doing, man. We're fishermen. What's interesting is, they did it. They cast it off the right side of the, the boat. And it says, they caught so many fish, they couldn't pull them in. John says, I know who that is. That's Jesus. And Peter, typically Peter, jumps out of the boat. He gets dressed first because for whatever reason, they're fishing naked. They did it different back then, okay? <laughs> he throws his stuff on, jumps out of the boat, swims all the way to shore, and comes face-to-face with Jesus, and they proceed to have the most awkward breakfast in history. They're sitting around a campfire eating fish. Nobody's talking. What are you going to say? They're not really sure what's happening here. It's kind of weird, kind of awkward. And in verse 15 of John 21, it says this. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? A couple things about that. First is this. He says, Simon, son of John. When I read this, the feeling I get is Jesus is breaking out the full name. When my mom did that, You knew something was up. When the full name happened and you hear yelling, you're outside, you hear the full name yelling, you know something's up, I'm probably in trouble, I better run home, I better run into the house, you know, that's what would happen when I'd hear my full name. When I would hear her call me by the dog's name, I would run away from the house because I knew it was really bad then. But he breaks out the full name and says, Simon, son of John. And then it's interesting His question to him is, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me more than these? Talking about the other disciples, probably. Do you love me more than these? And it's interesting because when I think of that confrontation, that's not the question that comes to my mind. Based on the past, based on what just happened, what we expect Jesus to say is, what did you do? Remember what you said, how you were not going to deny me, even if everybody else did, and you didn't even go one day. That's what we expect Jesus to say. Aren't you ashamed of yourself? Don't you feel guilty? Do you think maybe you should apologize, Peter? See, that's what we think. We think he's going to say, okay, you got to do these three things and make make everything right. That's what we expect Jesus to say. But it says, after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon son of John, do you love me? Do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. And Jesus says, feed my lambs. Now there's a whole bunch in this passage that we're not going to get into today. There, there's a lot that's kind of speculation. Like for instance, that Jesus uses two words for love. He uses the agape kind of love and he uses at the end the phileo kind of love. And you can extrapolate a whole bunch from that may or may not be 100% accurate. Each time Jesus gives Peter a new commission, it's slightly different. You know, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. Each time it's a little different. We're not going to get into all those nuances at the moment because I want you to see this big picture. Jesus says, if you love me, feed my lambs, Jesus said. And then verse 16, Jesus repeated the question. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, You know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus says. And it's fascinating to see how this unfolds because it says a third time, like in a row, a third time, Jesus asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And I like the next phrase. Peter was hurt, bugged him. He was hurt that Jesus asked the question the third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. See, the third time, do you love me? Then Peter's feelings were hurt. Jesus is asking three times. He's hurting Peter's feelings. And do you know what I believe with all my heart? This was ultimately a great gift to Peter when Jesus did this. Because you can't ignore what happened in the past. You can't pretend that what happened in the past didn't exist. In Peter's past, he had just got done days before that denying Jesus. Three times. You can't ignore that. Your past, some bad things happened. Whether you did it or it was done to you. I'm not saying that we can ignore those things or pretend they didn't exist when we've done things we shouldn't have done. He denied Jesus three times. And then he asks Peter three times, do you love me? And I believe when he's doing that, he's, he's telling Peter, we both know what happened. We both get that. But here's what we need to understand. Jesus is more concerned with our lasting healing than our short-term feelings. He could have said, it's okay, it's no big deal, you know. Doesn't really matter, because it did matter. And he's letting Peter know that he knows what's going on. He knows what Peter's thinking. And he's more concerned with that because it's like, in the physical sense, for a wound to heal, you've got to wash it out. You can't leave the ick and the crud in there. You know, we say it all the time in order to be revealing, in order to be healing, there has to be revealing. And the washing out part of it is never a fun part. Those of you who are, I, I don't know if people still do this or not. I haven't seen it in a long time, but I know when I was growing up, I think it was specifically at my grandma's place. My aunt used to do this too. Something happened and you would get hurt. You'd cut yourself or something. You know what she'd do every time? Go to the medicine cabinet, hydrogen peroxide. No, she'd get the She'd pour it on it, and, and it didn't feel great. Like, that's an understatement. It would bubble. You know why it would bubble? I didn't know back then. I just thought, I'm dying. Look at this. It was cleaning out the wound. That's what it did. And in our life, sometimes the wound needs cleaned out so that it can heal correctly. And so, Jesus, in a very loving way, doesn't say, you denied me. He just asks him three times and Peter gets it. Peter knows what's happening. And he understands our problem. If you don't let go of your past, you can't take hold of the future. Here's the good news. Although you can't change your past, God can change your future. That's huge. But you have to let go of your past in order for God to change your future. So that's where I want to spend the rest of the time today. How do you let go of your past? How do you do that? We're going to look at a couple, just real, two real simple ways to do that. Simple to talk about anyhow. Here's the first one. Close the door to your past. You close the door. I talked about the door. You said doors blown open. You feel the cold wind of the past blowing in and remind you of all that stuff. You got to close the door you have to deal with it you have to do what's necessary if it's make amends whatever the issue is you take care of the issue but then you close the door you don't need to bring it up every few minutes you don't need to bring it up every few years oh let's talk about the past because it makes us all feel like crap I know there's people who love talking about the past and crying and it's like wait a minute didn't you do that? yeah but it feels so good no it doesn't it keeps you in the past if you've done it close the door. To your past, and you say, Yeah, how do you do that? Here's how you do that you accept that God's grace is bigger than your sin, and that's hard for us to accept. God's grace is bigger than our sin, and you say, Yeah, how do you know that? I know that because He said it, First John 1 9. But if we confess our sins, does it say which sins? Does it say only the easy ones or only the bad ones? It says, if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. There's no deal making there, you know. He just says, confess it and you'll be forgiven. You see, he knows. He doesn't ask us to do this, this, and this to make everything right. You know? It's not about you know, feeling guilty. It's not about um, begging God to forgive us. I begged Him to forgive. If you've, if you've confessed it, if you've called sin, sin, and said that to God, you've been forgiven if you're a child of His. He doesn't ask us to do all of these things to take care of it. You know what He does? He, he simply asks us like He asked Peter. Do you love me? Do you love me? I'm a dad, I'm, I'm a papa now, I'm a granddad now. As I think about raising my kids and, and the things that we did, we did right, we did wrong, I think about all those things. One of the things that I would want them to think about, I know this sounds morbid, morbid, that I'd want them to think about at my funeral <laughs> is this. There were times we knew dad was not happy with us. We knew things had gone wrong. We knew we had done things we shouldn't do or not done things we should do. And we knew dad was not happy with us. But here's what we always knew. He was our dad. And he loved us. And nothing we could ever do would ever change that. That's what I would hope my kids would know about our relationship growing up is that nothing could change the fact that I love them, and I'm their dad. Could never do something to make me not love them again. The question is not what you've done. It's, it's not what you've not done. It's, do you love me? That's what he's asking us. Here's, here's the idea for this one. You're standing with God. Your relationship with him, your standing with him, is determined by relationship, not rules. Rules that we've broken. We think, I've broken these, and we hear the lies of the enemy. "Um, It's not going to ever work again. I'm useless. I'm unlovable. I'm this, I'm that. Because we're listening. Your standing with God isn't determined by rules. It's determined by relationship. And you say, but you don't understand. I've not been a good dad. I've not been a good husband. I've lived a lie. I've made bad decisions that hurt other people. I, I've, I've lost relationships, I've lost everything financially, I've been that bad parent, I've walked away from God. There are things that I've done that I can't forgive myself for. You don't understand. And I would say, you're right, I probably don't understand. But remember what Peter said. One of the things he said, we should say too. You remember what he said to Jesus the third time? You know everything. He does. Don't miss that. Jesus knows everything. And you know what he does? He closes the door to your past. You say, you don't understand. Yes, he does. You don't know. Yes, he does. He knows everything. But yet he still closes the door to your past. He doesn't hold the door to your past open as an option or something to get you with. He doesn't do that. When we hold on to our past what we're saying is the power of my past is stronger than the power of the cross. The power of what I did is stronger than what Jesus did for me. That's what we're saying when we won't let our past go. You are not what you've done. You are what God has done for you. You are who God says you are. You see, if you are in Christ Jesus... If you're a believer in Jesus, a follower of Jesus, you're in Christ, the Bible says you are forgiven. You are loved. You are a child of God. Um, Not up on the screen, Galatians says this, now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you're his child, God made you his heir. That sounds great, doesn't it? A child of God, an heir. An heir to him, not an error. That's what we think we are. He says, you're my heir. And we say, that sounds great. How do I get that? That's, you know, the yes, but how. John 1. You hear me say this all the time. John 1, 12 and 13. But to all, see, he came to his own people and his own people didn't receive him. They rejected him. They crucified him. It says, but to all who believed in him and accepted him. The word is, is you've taken it. You've received it. You've not just believed it. You've not just believed the facts. You say, I believe. And I say, good, you're halfway there. It's not enough to believe. You also have to receive him as your Savior. But to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. Because the standing of our relationship is not based on rules we've broken. It's based on the relationship itself with God. It says, when you do that, you will become a child of God. Believe and receive. It says about them, they are reborn. Not with physical birth, resulting from human passion or plan, but birth that comes from God. Born again, born from above. You are now in God's family when you do that. A child of the King. What was Jesus' response to Peter's betrayal and denial? What did Jesus do in light of Peter's past? He forgave him and he restored him. He didn't hold it over his head, didn't tell him how bad he was. He forgave him and restored him. And, and what we think is, oh, I really screwed up. I need to be a better person. I need to clean things up. I need to get some things straightened out first before he'll accept me. It's like, nope, that's not the way it works. He accepts us just as we are. He doesn't approve of what we've done. He's the one who cleans us up. We don't clean ourselves up. He cleans us up. Um, See, you are not what you have done. That's what we keep thinking. You are who God says you are. Forgiven. His child, God's chosen instrument, if you are in Christ and have believed and received him. So, to let go of your past, the first thing you do is you close the door to your past. Here's the second thing you do. Step into your future. You close that door to your past. You ask for forgiveness. God forgives you. You close that door because he's closed that door. And then you step into your future. Because the enemy wants you to think you don't have a future because of your past. That's not what he told Peter. You step into your future because God saves you from your past. So that you can step into your future. Peter could have gone the wrong way. But he accepted from Jesus what Jesus was giving him. He was forgiven. He was also given a new future. Jesus didn't say, can't really use you anymore, you screwed up. He said, feed my sheep. You're going to be a leader, he says. He reaffirms Peter's calling. See, Peter's call is grounded in his love for Christ, not in his own perfect performance. The leaders here at Journey in Our Church, the leaders here at Celebrate Recovery, here's what I say about every single one of them. They are not perfect, but they are forgiven. It's true of all of us. His call is on you, since you love me, Love my people. That's what Jesus is asking of him and us. Our qualification to be used by God is not a perfect past. It's simply the presence of Jesus in your life right now. In that love relationship with him. You see, God is in the business of using imperfect people to impact his world. We see it all the time here. The problem is when we read this, Peter's failure in the past, his denial of Jesus three times, his deserting Jesus and running away, um, we, we fall into the wrong trap because we look at it wrong. Imagine you're looking at a picture and they're trying to decide if it's a good picture and you're with a group of people and there's like, there's like eight people in the picture. When you look at the picture with eight people in it, here's what I know about you. If we're asking you if that's a good picture, it will be a good picture if you look good in it. Right? Everybody else can look amazing, and you don't look amazing. Not, Not a very good picture. Maybe we should do that again. That's the same thing that happens in our life, you see. We read this story, and we think it's a story about Peter. It's not a story about Peter. It's a story about Jesus. It's not about Peter and his screwing up. It's about Jesus and his forgiveness and his love and his call on our life. When we can look at it that way, I'm telling you from experience, that is so freeing. It's not about what we have done. It's about what Jesus has done. It's what he is doing It's what he will do in your life. That's what the story's about. When I get it right, when I look to my past, I don't see my failure. I see God's faithfulness. When I get it right, I don't see my defeat when I look back. I see God's victory. When I get it right, I don't see how bad I was. I see how good God is. And when all is said and done, your story, is not a story about your failure. It's a story about God's victory. That's how we'll be remembered by Him. We should not be held captive by our past. We should be set free for a new future with God. You say, but you don't understand. I don't need to understand. Jesus knows everything. And His question is not, did you do that? His question is, do you love me? We don't need to be held captive by our past. We can be set free to a new future with God because our success in life is not dependent on perfection. Praise God. It's dependent on Jesus' presence in our life. See, Peter, that day, when he says, I'm going fishing, on his own, what did he catch? Nothing. When Jesus shows up, the net's so full they can't even pull it into the boat. I want to close with Philippians 3. says this. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things. This Paul writing. He says, or that I've already reached perfection. He says, I'm not there. And I look and it's like, well, if anybody has, he has. But he knows he hasn't. He says, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. It's Jesus' perfection. It's Jesus' presence in his life. He says, no, dear brothers and sisters, I've not achieved it. But get this, I focus on this one thing. If, like, the greatest Christian who ever lived, who wrote half of the New Testament, says, focus on one thing. We better pay attention. What is it that he focuses on? Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. How many in here ever hunted down and killed people because they were Christians? Any, anybody in here? No. That's what Paul did. That's what he did before he found Jesus. And he can say, I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. We have to be able to forget the past. We deal with it, we forget it. Close the door to it. We look forward to what lies ahead because you are not what you have done. You are who God says you are. You look at two people who denied Jesus in that same time frame. One of them was Peter. The other one was Judas. They both failed Jesus. We remember them very differently. We remember them differently because only Peter saw a future with Jesus. And when Jesus said, do you love me? His answer was yes. Here's what you need to understand. 2019 is coming to a close in a matter of days. It is past. In 2020, how about instead of your past being the main character, how about if Jesus is the main character in, in your future? Because you can't change the past, but God can give you a new future. I'd like you to bow your heads as, as we get ready to pray. Two simple things, depending on where you're at. You might be saying, I want to let go of my past. I want to take hold of the future that God has for me. And if that's you, it's as simple as saying, God, I know that what I've done is wrong. I know it's sin. I'm calling it sin just like you do. That's, that's what confession is. You're confessing it to him and it says he will forgive you. You're already a follower of Christ. You already believe you and receive. You know that you're a child of God and you say, I want to let go of my past and take hold of that future that God has for me. That's the decision that you need to make today. But maybe you've never come into that relationship with him. Maybe you've never understood that it's not just about believing, it's about receiving. And you've never... Taken him and said, I believe that what you did was for me. So maybe for you today, you're saying, I just want to receive God's forgiveness. I know what my past is like, and if he can forgive me, I want that. I want to have a relationship with him. I want to step into the future that he has for me. Whichever one of those things applies to you, it's as simple as saying yes to him. I want you to be praying about that and thinking about that. Um, we're going to sing a final song in just a moment. And then after that, if you need someone to pray with you, I want you to make your way to, there's a room in the back with, uh, by the exit door that has glass, and you just walk into that room. Somebody will be there to pray with you because maybe you need something to let go of in your past. Maybe maybe you need to receive God's forgiveness for the first time today. Let's pray. Father, I don't know people's hearts I hardly know mine sometimes, but you know everything. And regardless of what we've done or where we've been or what we've seen or what's happened or what has gone on in the past or what water has gone under the bridge, I know that you said you can forgive and you can close the door to the past and you can open the door to an incredible future for us. And I pray, Father, that today in simple faith that we would receive that, realizing it's not what we've done, it's what you've done for us. And we can, we can make that right. We can recognize it. And then we can close the door to that. And we can focus on you and your forgiveness and the calling that you have for us. So wherever we're at on that, Father, I pray that our answer to you today will be yes. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand for the closing song. As I'm reading, I'm in my plan to read through the Bible in six months. Um, I'm, I'm in my fifth month, and I'm a little over halfway through. So it kind of tells you where I'm going in that. What's so funny is I was feeling guilty about that. I'm, li- I'm living in my past, feeling guilty about it. Here's the fun thing that happened. On Christmas Day, my reading, because I'm behind, my reading was in Isaiah. It was in Isaiah about Jesus and a little bit in Micah. And I read on Christmas morning the prophecy that one would be born in Bethlehem. And it's like, oh, that's pretty good, God. Here's what else I read just this past week. Isaiah 43. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. Verse 19, see, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. So if that's what your past is, streams in the the wasteland, he wants to make streams in the wasteland and have it not be a wilderness anymore. So as I said, if you want someone to pray with you because you need that forgiveness, maybe you've never experienced it before, Maybe you just need somebody to pray with you about letting something go. Whatever it is, make your way to that back room. Julie, wave, right there. Make your way to that back room and there'll be someone back there to pray with you. If you um, don't have a Bible and need one, we can make sure you get one. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that um, your question to us is simply, do you love me? And that as we love you, it helps us to fulfill our calling and love others. I thank you, Father, that you are the one... who, because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, closes the door to the past. That we can have a new calling. That we can start again because of what you did, not because of what we did. And that the former things can be past. We don't have to dwell there. We know that you want to do a new thing. Thank you for that. And as we move into this new year, I pray that you would be the central character in our story. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.